Have you ever seen a Discovery Channel or Nova program on the land of Egypt? There is sometimes a subtle, sometimes not so subtle thread that runs through each show. And that is this, Egyptian archaeology and Egyptian history are at odds with the biblical timeline and the biblical worldview. So our question today, what if the truth is actually the exact opposite of what's being told to us? What if archaeology and history of Egypt is yet another evidence that the Bible is historically accurate in every single detail? Today, I'm going to invite you on a journey with me as we look at Egypt's archaeology, evidence for the Bible. And in Egyptian, an R can oftentimes be an L. So if we look at this as we read this scarab, what it actually could read is, is Jacob or Jacob of El. We see where it says here the Shasu of Yahu or Yahua. And Shasu basically means a wanderer or a Bedouin. And so that really perfectly describes what was happening with the Hebrew people, with the Israelites, when they're wandering through the wilderness. Again, the Amarna letters are correspondence from Canaan to Egypt, pleading for help because these Habiru are coming into the land of Canaan and they are taking over the place. Welcome to the Creation Today Show, where we bring together interviews with experts and solid Bible teaching your host, Eric Hovind, affirms the ultimate authority of God's Word, the truth of creation, and why it matters to you. Now, if you're new to the Creation Today Show, I'm your host, Eric Hovind, and we are on a mission to disciple the world one person at a time. We are convinced that when viewed properly, every stumbling block that keeps people from seeing Jesus as the creator and redeemer of mankind can be turned into a stepping stone on their journey to know the truth. So to my friends out there on Facebook, YouTube, podcast, and television, thank you guys. We're so happy you're peeking into the Creation Today community for this conversation. Myself and our Creation Today partners, we're being discipled one week at a time through weekly conversations so that we can be all God has called us to be. If you ever want to join our little community, come on over to creationtoday.org and partner with us. To my Creation Today partners, oh my goodness, you are going to love today's conversation, okay? It is always good to see you guys on here with me. So William and Ruth and Becky and Gary and Jonathan and Lisa and another Gary and Diana. Great to see you guys on here. Sure do love hanging out with you guys each week. Uh, thank you also to my partners for not only learning with me, but for helping us together take the gospel around the world and disciple people around the world with the truth of creation and our amazing creator. I just want to give you a little update. Did you know in the last 30 days, God has let our, our different outlets reach 1,921,000 people through the different platforms. And July is like one of our slowest months of the year. So we're just praising God for the outreach that he's allowing us to have together. And I just seriously, I want to thank you guys for being part of what God is doing through creation today. Now, you are going to love my guest today. He's been leading trips through the Southwest for over 20 years. He has spent over 800 days guiding and teaching in Grand Canyon National Park. Uh, he has a passion for Native American culture, which is really cool. And he loves the Wild West history, okay? You'll see when he comes on here, he's like, 
He's the man. Well, I don't know. Can you see his picture right now? He's the man, okay? Uh, Nate and his wife, have also they also lead a seven-day London Christian tour in England. And you can check that out at LondonChristianTours.com. He guides multi-day trips on biblical archaeology as well through museums and sites around the world. We're focusing on Egypt today. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Mr. Nate Loper. Nate, welcome to the Creation Today Show, buddy. Hey, Eric. Good to see you again, my friend. It's just been a couple of weeks since we were together at the ICC conference, but uh, good to that, see you uh, via digital format now. That was amazing. I'd never, you go to those things. I'd never been. I was blown away at the brilliance of what creation scientists have and what we're putting forward. It, 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 it blew my mind. How did you feel yeah. about the ICC this year? Oh, it was fantastic. So many opportunities to meet some great minds and talk and just present ideas and you know, developing theories and thoughts about creation model. And it's amazing as creation scientists, we're still engaged in active research and modeling and developing of our theories. And that's what real scientists do. So it was great. I think we had over 400 people from what I kind of guessed. And it was a fantastic turnout. And good to see yeah. you and your wife too. We got to meet her for the first time. And she is the better half. So you've definitely met the better <laughs> half of me. Now you're not going to think as highly of me, but that's okay. Think highly of her. Um, no, we, we really enjoyed that. And I felt like, and I'm, we're producing a whole show on the ICC experience. So that's coming up here in a couple of weeks. Um, but uh, I felt like, wow, in a sense, creation scientists are in like the Renaissance stage of science because I mean, for 200 years, they've been doing geology and biology and the different sciences from an evolution worldview, trying to find evidence of evolution. And you have more and more scientists going, well, wait a minute, if that's not my paradigm, if this is, how did this happen? And I, I just, I feel like it's exploding. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Okay. We're talking about Egypt today. Let me just give you my background. Okay. Here's my background of my knowledge. So you can know where to start with me. Um, <laughs> I've seen patterns of evidence, the Exodus. I've seen patterns of evidence, the Moses controversy. I've seen the Red Sea Miracle Part 1 and the Red Sea Miracle Part 2. I've seen Journey to Mount Sinai Part 1. Woo! There's a lot of them here. And Journey to Mount Sinai Part 2, okay? So, I mean, don't have these things memorized, but our friend Tim Mahoney has done a great job of creating those. And it seems to me like the more you study about Exodus, the more you realize this is actually evidence for the biblical worldview. So, that's kind of my starting point, but you're going to actually take us into some specifics here today. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I love what Tim has done, you know, engaging different thoughts, different perspectives about the, you know, the Exodus and the timeline of Joseph and Moses and really just engaging people with thinking on their own and diving into what what is the evidence that we see, you know, for these biblical events. And I think there's a tremendous amount of it when you actually start looking at, especially when you synchronize, right, the correct chronologies and the timelines and when some of these events took place, I think that it really, it jumps out. So exciting to see just the work that Tim has done and many others that are currently actually out there doing good, solid research in archaeology, which is a huge passion of mine out there too. Now, I got to tell you guys, if you've never seen his Patterns of Evidence series, you need to watch it. I'm going to make it really easy for a couple of you, okay? Nate, I actually texted Tim a few minutes ago. I said, hey, buddy, can I give away an entire series? It's like a $90 value, man. Can I give away an entire series of your Patterns of Evidence videos uh, through Creation Today? He said, yeah, why not? So I'm actually doing three of them. If you're on YouTube or on Facebook or you're one of our partners and you want to be entered into the drawing for a digital streaming giveaway of all six of the Exodus Patterns of Evidence videos, 
All you have to do is type in the comments. Are you ready? You got to type the answer to this question. And you're going to be entered into the drawing if you can answer this question, okay? $90 value. Here it is. Here's the question. What? I'm not saying speed is going to help you. The ladies are going to pick. But if you get in there quick, it might help, okay? What is the capital of Egypt? What's the capital of Egypt? You guys type that in as fast as you can. Masaki, you got that fast, dude. <laughs> you were ready, man. That is awesome. Oh, it was already on the screen. That's how you got it so quick. Okay, what's the capital of Egypt? You get that answer in there, and you will be entered to uh, win the drawing of, uh, of the entire series, the Exodus Patterns of Evidence series, and I know that'll be a, a big blessing to you. So you guys put that in the comments. We're going to go start teaching this information, and before we let social media go uh, at the half-hour mark, we will announce our winners, okay? So what is the capital of Egypt? If you want to be entered to win the drawing, uh, entered into the drawing for all six of the Patterns of Evidence series from Tim Mahoney. I mean, that's uh, it's amazing. Okay, Nate leads tours into the Grand Canyon. His ministry is Canyon Ministries. You got to go check them out online. It's just canyonministries.org. And uh, they do an incredible job of doing all kinds of different hikes, day trips, raft trips into the Grand Canyon. You will I promise, absolutely love, love, love and experience. So if you're going to the Grand Canyon, make sure you look up Canyon Ministries and get them to take you on a Christian tour of the canyon. It will be absolutely breathtaking. It'll be amazing. So got to do that. All right, jump into Egypt archaeology here. Dude, this is disgusting. Like you, you get to travel the <laughs> world. I thought you were just a Grand Canyon guy. And I find out you're like an all over the world guy studying. So uh, I feel blessed to learn from you. All right, you even yeah, got the Indiana Jones hat and everything. You look the part, man. <laughs> well, yeah, this I had opportunity this last um, January to be out in in Egypt for a week, you know, studying things and doing research. I'm currently in a second year of a master's degree program in ancient civilizations with a focus on Egyptology. So that's a big thing. I got another trip out to Egypt in November as well. So it's a place that is fantastic and holds a tremendous amount of history when it comes to the Bible, actually. So pretty neat. Let's just dive in here because there's a tremendous amount of evidence, Eric, I think. And so we're going to talk a little bit about some of the uh, Egyptian archaeology and the evidence for the Bible and some of the things that we see tied in with there. And it's kind of interesting, you know, when you look at Egypt and you talk about Egypt in relation to the Bible, you know, oftentimes there is this kind of negative connotation because Really, people only focus on the slavery issue. But if you really study all the different places that Egypt is referenced, it's kind of a there's pros and cons to it. And many ways, I kind of see it like, um, you know, a brotherhood, so to speak. You know, sometimes with brothers and sisters, you get along great. Other times you don't get along great. And we see, you know, going all the way back to the time of Abraham, you know, Abraham's son Ishmael was actually half Egyptian. And so there's a lot of connections there. When there was a famine during Abraham's time, Abraham and Sarai went there to Egypt for a place of refuge. And of course, it's the same place that, that Joseph goes. And then eventually through that timeline there and raised to second in command throughout all of Egypt, he's able to save his family who then move into there. So we see like a lot of times there is some pros and cons back and forth, but even Jesus, you know, when he was when they were you know looking to kill all those the newborns jesus went to egypt that was a place of refuge and so there's kind of this bond and bane of brotherhood you might say between egypt and uh, israel and so there's a lot of back and forth and sometimes there's pros sometimes there's cons and so that's why i love egypt not because of all the you know the egyptian gods and all the stuff like that but the history and the 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 evidence that we see within the biblical timeline and just studying that i think gives us a much bigger picture 
you know, for what the Bible talks about and understanding some of these histories, which to me, Eric, is fascinating, fantastic. Yeah, and we're living in a day and age where, I mean, the attacks against the Bible are just consistent. Now, I'm convinced if it wasn't for the internet, most of them would be gone because most of these arguments have been demolished many, many times, hundreds of years ago, sometimes thousands of years ago. But the internet brings it to some kid's mind and some 13-year-old's like, I didn't know this, guys, guess what? The Bible's not true. And they have no idea that that argument is just simply out there, but it's been debunked many, many times. So I appreciate this kind of evidence because it's, it's going and showing us, wow, look, God's word really is true. You really can't have the truth about this. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about that evidence. You know, what is evidence? Oftentimes what people are asking for and what they want to see on the internet, you know, and YouTube and blogs and all this stuff, which is terrible sources for information, by the way, don't trust YouTube <laughs> and blogs just because somebody made a pretty, you know, thing, um, dive into it for yourself. But what people oftentimes want to see and what they are looking for are what we call, you know, physical evidence or direct evidence. You know, I want to see the, the, the marker in the sand that says Moses was here, you know, uh, Eric, you're not going to find that. And you shouldn't expect to find that, you know, it doesn't make any Gen sense. Gen Z wants to see the videotape of it. That's what they're like. I Why know. didn't somebody get that on video? Like, what's up? You know, yeah. come on, guys. <laughs> you know, there's, you I mean, even, even places like where they were camping at Mount Sinai, you know, looking at that, people are expecting to find a tremendous amount of direct evidence, but you're not going to find direct physical evidence. You shouldn't expect to find it in a place that was 3000 years ago from a wandering tribe that were living in tents. And I mean, we have incredible amounts of archaeology, even well-known sites like, you know, in Egypt that are still buried. We have entire Egyptian capital cities um, that are still completely buried under sand. Ijtawe, you know, a capital city during the 12th dynasty of Egypt that we don't even know exactly where it is and we've never been able to excavate it. So we have entire capital cities of Egypt that we're really not sure about. And so you start to look at, you know, a wandering tribe or wandering group, you know, if you're talking about the Exodus and the the wandering in the wilderness, you're trying to find something that would be lost to time and sand oftentimes. So everyone is looking for direct physical evidence. It's not the only type of evidence that you should look for. We also have what's called indirect evidence. You know, so direct evidence or physical evidence sometimes or indirect, you might even call it circumstantial evidence. Now, both of those are actually very good, you know, pieces of evidence when it comes to looking at different circumstances. Uh, for example, take a look at this scene here. Now, Eric, <laughs> what happened here? Well, I, I'm going to assume that the, uh, the dog is a bad doggy. That's what I'm going to assume. And the dog tore something up. That's a pretty good assumption, right? Absolutely. So if you walked into this scene and your dog, Toby, sitting up there on the couch is sitting there and you look at this room, I mean, maybe you weren't there to see it. Maybe you came home, you come up onto the scene, and this is what you're presented with. I mean, the the logical assumption, the indirect evidence, you might say, the circumstantial evidence is, hey, Toby did this, you know? Um, you know, it doesn't make any sense. You could possibly, maybe, Eric, you could maybe stretch it a whole bunch and say, well, of course it wasn't my dog, Toby. He's the perfect dog. He would never do anything like that. It must have been that neighbor's cat that hates Toby. And he snuck in through the upstairs bedroom window, came down through all the way and tore up this whole room and blamed it on poor Toby. Now you could say that, but that idea, that assumption doesn't make any sense. Looking at this, this may not be direct evidence that Toby did it because you weren't there as an eyewitness, but you look at the circumstances. And so when we look at evidence, indirect evidence versus direct evidence, you know, physical evidence, even circumstantial evidence, you know, I'm sorry, I would say that Toby's going to be guilty here. And uh, yeah. circumstantial evidence is actually very interesting. It's fully admissible in a court of law. So 
you know, when you start looking at evidence, um, even circumstantial evidence is used in courts and trials, all kinds of stuff. Um, I'm actually very familiar with circumstantial evidence. Um, a number of years ago, I served about six weeks on a jury for a 30-year cold case murder trial. And this was something that was 30 years ago. It was cold case and it got dug up and they were trying to figure out some more things about it. And um, we went through a six week trial um, on this. And let me tell you what, Eric, there was no shred of direct or physical evidence provided. They couldn't, it was you know 30 years old. But the circumstances of this case and the events and all these things really throughout the six weeks led us to you know rule in, in conviction. And then after that, the guy did confess, actually. And so it was all based on circumstantial evidence. What are the events surrounding, you know, something that took place or something that happened? And so, like I said, circumstantial evidence is fully admissible in a court of law. So even when it comes to archaeology, we shouldn't just look for direct evidence. We shouldn't look for, again, the sign in the sand that says Moses was here. You know, (laughs) we should look for the surrounding events. That's a big piece that I think a lot of people when we look for that evidence, I think a lot of people miss out because, you know, again, today, show me generation, they want to see it for themselves. They want that video. And a lot of what we need to do in archaeology, I believe, is to study all sorts of types of evidence. Now, it just happens to be that today on the program, we're actually going to focus on physical evidence because, you know, that tends to be more excitable and more fun for people. So uh, we're going to jump in here with a little bit of a physical evidence and some really neat things that we see and some ideas about Israel and the Hebrew people being in Egypt. And so today, really, I'm only going to focus on stuff we typically find from Egypt itself, even though there's a whole host of other evidences and things for Egypt and the connection between Egypt and Israel. Uh, we're going to focus on Egypt. How's that sound? Sounds good, man. That's I just want to see. I, I like that. I mean, I like the direct evidence. It's 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 almost like that's I. It's almost like sometimes that can be more persuasive to somebody, even though we should be able to look at circumstantial and go, okay, let me look at that. seems like sometimes that's more persuasive. Yeah. So let's take a look. Let's jump in here. And um, first little thing I want to highlight, this is an artifact. This is an Egyptian style scarab. And so a scarab is kind of like a small little, um, almost like a little talisman almost. This would be pretty small in size. It would have a hole that runs through it. You could put on like to a necklace or a chain or some kind of thing oftentimes used as as seals and stamps and things like that. Uh, This is actually from the British Museum. And so I was there again this last December. uh, This is a picture I took of this. And this was on display in a special exhibition that was really dealing with the development of the Egyptian language and hieroglyphics and how we translated it and some of those discoveries there. But when I was there, this is a scarab that I've been wanting to see for many, many years. I knew about it. And I'd seen, you know, old pictures of it, nothing super good, all kind of grainy, but this happened to be in this special exhibit. And so this is a very fascinating scarab from a fascinating time uh, timeline. On this scarab, it actually has the name Jacob. Now, kind of interesting. The name Jacob, of course, is, you know, we see in the Bible, the father of, you know, the nation of Israel. He, He was later named Israel, you know, the father of Joseph. Here in Egypt, we find an Egyptian-style scarab dating to what we call the Second Intermediate Period. And so the Second Intermediate Period is typically where I like to place the arrival of the Hebrews into Egypt. And it's kind of the focus of my master's dissertation is actually this timeline. And so looking at this, this scarab that we have here from the Second Intermediate Period, 
it's kind of hard to see. So I'm going to blow it up. And I've actually put some of the letters on there. So you may be able to e easier see it and read it. But what we have here is the name in Egyptian hieroglyphs, the name of Jacob. And so starting up here, it says Jacob, which would be Jacob. Uh, oftentimes, there are not very many vowels included within the Egyptian language. And so typically, you're looking at consonants, kind of like Hebrew. Now, there are some letters, you know, like A here. We have a sound for A, um, I-N. We've got Jacob. And so interestingly, it says Jacob. And then at the bottom, there's a symbol kind of for a mouth in Egyptian, which is oftentimes an R. But here's the interesting thing, Eric. The Egyptians, you know, didn't really use... Um, the letter L sound very much, they oftentimes substituted R. So R and L are interchangeable. Um, even cultures today sometimes have a hard time using the L sound. There's a lot of, you know, Eastern uh, Asian cultures, uh, some of the Chinese language and have a hard time with R's and L's. And in Egyptian, an R can oftentimes be an L. So if we look at this, as we read this scarab, what it actually could read is, is Jacob or Jacob of L. Now, pretty fascinating because the L is oftentimes used for, you know, denotation of the name God, you know, or the word of yes. God. So this could be a scarab with the name Jacob of L, the Jacob of God or Jacob of L. Well, it's a fascinating little scarab here. And um, what we see here is that this is one of those pieces that we find at the right time, at the right place, okay, and with the right name on it. I mean, so there are three lines of evidence, three patterns of evidence, you might say, that we look to and tie together when it comes to perhaps this is actually the Jacob we find in the Bible. He's, denied, he's basically listed here as and shown as a, as a ruler. And that's signified by this cartouche, the, where the symbol in the middle that kind of holds the name, which would make sense because the Pharaoh gave the land, the best of the land, this delta region of Goshen to Joseph and to his family. He didn't simply just say, oh, you can go live over there. He literally gave it to them and said, this is your land. So in that timeline, what we see is that the Hebrew people that move into there, they begin to grow and multiply and become powerful, scripture tells us. And we actually see the same sort of thing happening during the second intermediate period, a people group from Canaan moves into there, becomes rich and powerful, and basically starts to rule over this whole area. Now, oftentimes what we see here, that this signet or this uh, this scarab here is a symbol from a leader or a ruler, or it might even be some from a king. It's not only used for kings, but we also see the cartouche symbol used for other rulers as well. But here's the interesting thing, Eric. This is only one example of the name Jacob that we find throughout there. We have at least 27 different scarabs and seals that bear the name Jacob or Jacob, and they're found not just in Egypt. They're also found as far as Canaan. So there's a number of them that are found in Canaan. There's also some found as far south as Nubia. So this shows us that this was a, a pretty powerful person in this region from this region of Goshen, from the region of the Egyptian Eastern Delta. And his name is found multiple different places. In fact, a signet ring with the name Jacob was found in Avaris, the capital of that timeline, the capital of that location during the second intermediate period. So it could, in fact, be that this is the biblical Jacob that we're looking at here. Pretty cool, huh? Nate, I got to tell you, when I think of Egypt, I think of lots of sand, big desert. Well, I think of the possibility of discovering that inside of Egypt. Already my mind is like needle in a haystack let oh, alone yeah. that it could be that detailed, that well-preserved. It's almost like the sand 
preserved all of that for this time for us to uncover and, and actually God go, I'm just telling you, it's all true. I, it's just interesting to me. Yeah. Pretty interesting. You know, again, it's, it's one of the things I'm not going to say hundred percent conclusive. And there are some difference of, of opinion with that last little R versus L, you know, could it mean the mountain of Jacob? Could it mean the mouth of Jacob? Um, I think that when we look at the pattern that we see with the Egyptian hieroglyphic writing, I think that R tends to be an L. And so to me, it would say Jacob L pretty fascinating stuff. So it's exciting because we're seeing evidence. I mean, literally the right time, the right person, the right place, all these things coming together. And it's not the only evidence. There's other scarabs. There's one that I've seen also that seems to bear the name of Issachar, which is, of course, one of Jacob's sons. Um, we have Sakhar El, which Sakhar El, and it's another one that seems to be perhaps a son of Jacob. And so, of course, not only Jacob, but his other sons are also going to be living in this region in the Delta. They're also going to be developing and, you know, overseeing a lot of stuff. So it would make sense that you would see a lot of these overseers um, throughout this region. So that, um, that soccer L, I think it was actually on a doorpost, a door jam of a doorpost that it was found in. But what we find is that there are numerous lines of evidence with some of these names. And there's a few others that I'm working on currently uh, with some of my research that may even align even beyond these two figures that we see there. Um, even looking into the Egyptian name of Joseph in Egypt. And I think there's some really clear lines and evidence of that, even perhaps of his son Manasseh on an Egyptian stela that includes both of their names together. So um, that's kind of working right now. It's nothing I've been able to publish or talk about quite yet, but uh, exciting stuff. And I think there's tremendous evidence when we start looking at the right time, the right location. So this is kind of where we tend to see uh, based upon the early arrival into Egypt, the early Exodus date, this would be the timeline that we would see the Hebrew people moving into and rising to power within Egypt. I think it's fascinating. I got to let social media go here in just a minute. Is, do you think we can cover one more physical evidence before I let them go? Yeah, let's jump into another one real quick. We'll jump right in here to a second one called the Soleb inscription, which is an interesting thing. This is the uh, Soleb inscription, which is found from a temple down in Nubia. And on here, we have one of the earliest mentions of the word Yahweh in Egyptian culture. What we see here on this pillar are a number of different, um, different nations, basically different, different enemies that you might say that the Pharaoh had. And so this is from Amenhotep III, who we believe you know, was around the time of the, uh, the wandering in the wilderness in the early time, right before they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And on here, what we see here, it's kind of hard to see, but I've highlighted over here. We see where it says here the Shasu of Yahu or Yahuwah. And Shasu basically means a wanderer or a Bedouin. And so that really perfectly describes what was happening with the Hebrew people, with the Israelites, when they're wandering through the wilderness. They are wanderers. They are traveling through and they are the wanderers of Yahweh, it says on there. It's a fascinating thing. And it goes again with the right timeline. It's one of the earliest known uses of the name Yahweh. Um, certainly one of the earliest known uses in Egypt. Fascinating little piece there. That's incredible. So you got evidence of, do, you, do we happen to know what he was saying? There are a number of, of enemies of, of Egypt, you might say. And so there's a whole bunch of different groups here. And so what this says in this name ring, basically it says, you know, the Shasu of Yahweh, it's, it's naming a people group is what it's talking about. And so there are a number of other different people groups. There are other ones in Canaan. There are the ones talking about the Nubians and, um, all these different locations. And so this is dealing with these different nations that are enemies of Egypt, they might say, or people that are subjugated, you know, under the rule of basically this was taken, you know, 
during a, a campaign or sorry, during a celebration of Amenhotep III, basically his his head his headseb festival, where he's celebrating his 30-year reign. And he's basically saying, I'm you know the greatest on earth. And he's saying all these other nations that are or people groups, you might say, that are subjected underneath him. And so he talks about these wanderers, these Shasu of Yahweh. And so Shasu again meaning a wanderer, a Bedouin, um, you know, one with dusty feet, you might say. And this is, I believe, a direct physical mentioning of the early Hebrew Israelite people during their wandering in the wilderness before they are into the promised land. Wow. Okay. I, I'm ready for you to write your book on it. Okay. I just, we got this in from ICR recently and it's just now available, uh, archaeology and the Bible. And it goes through some of the Egyptian archaeology, but there is a lot of archaeology out there that confirms exactly what the Bible says. Um, I got to let social media go before we, I know you got a bunch more that you want to go into. Uh, social media. Thank you guys. Facebook, YouTube, my pod, podcast listeners and television audience. Thank you guys for hanging out with me for a few minutes. Uh, I, I'd love for you to learn more. Come on over to creationtoday.org and learn with us. Before I let you guys go though, hey, I got my giveaways. I got my winners picked. The ladies have chosen the, the winners for the six uh, package series of the, the Patterns of Evidence series from our t friend Tim Mahoney. So if I call your name, you need to make sure and send us an email. Okay, it's the only way I can get a hold of you. You got to email comments at creationtoday.org if I, if I call your name. Uh, so on YouTube, okay, YouTube, Jonathan S. Jonathan S. Uh, on Facebook, yes, I see that. On Facebook, uh, J-H-O-N Torres. J-H-O-N Torres. If, uh, if that's you, send us an email to comments at creationtoday.org. Uh, and we will get you your uh, your set right now. If you're podcast or television, I'm sorry, this show aired a while ago, so you don't get to win. But you can get your own copy at creationtoday.org. They're all available there, and I'm telling you, you're watching literally about 20 years worth of research. You're getting 20 years worth of research for like 90 bucks. It's incredible. 20 years worth of research for 90 bucks. You can have it all and go through that. Uh, the last winner I've got here is one of our partners, Miss Ruth. Ruth, you are the winner of that for our Creation Today partners. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. Next week, by the way, got a great show with my friend, Dr. James White. We're covering why beliefs matter. Oh my goodness. I've heard him talk about this before. It is a, you, it is a must listen to. Your beliefs are incredibly important. And people's beliefs around the world are incredibly important. Beliefs make a huge impact. We're going to talk to Dr. White about that, why beliefs matter. Well, I want to thank you guys for hanging out with me. I hope you guys will join me next week. We're live at noon on Wednesdays and can't wait to see you again. Uh, if you want to join us and become part of our community and be discipled week by week, come on over to creationtoday.org. We'd be honored to have you join us.